You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Monday the 20th of December. It's a cool grey morning here in TW11 and really now we're building up to the racing over the festive period and if one person is likely to dominate over the festive period it is the person who has dominated national hunt racing over the last 12 months. That of course is Rachel Blackmore, the first woman to win the Grand National, the first woman to be leading rider at the Cheltenham Festival with six wins but the accolades have just kept coming over the last few days. The Irish Times Sport Island Sportswoman of the Year, the RTE Sports Person of the Year, the HRI Irish Racing Hero and now last night the BBC World Sports Star, the first Irish person to win that accolade, the first person in horse racing to win since the mid-1960s. We'll be hearing from Rachel Blackmore in just a few moments' time. But first of all, Jane Mangan, who has uh, followed her career so closely and indeed whose own career was intertwined with it for some time, how did it make you feel when you finally saw the images of Rachel Blackmore holding that trophy aloft last night? It's a little bit difficult to put into words and it's very hard to justify it. But two weeks ago on this pod, I said that it's probably the coolest thing she'll ever achieve to be nominated alongside a Brady, Novak, Max Verstappen and all those brilliant names. But I was wrong. Because last night, the name Blackmore joined Federer, Ronaldo, Bolt, Pele, Ali, Woods, and so many more greats. That is how big this is. It's bigger than our sport. It's probably bigger than we can comprehend in this moment in time. But looking back on this, it's, it's momentous, not just for the sport, but for the wider racing community. Rachel Blackmore is a star. She is a star, and as she so often has, she really had to improvise last night because uh, the plane was delayed, she couldn't make it to the studios, had to do the interview on Zoom, um, and she even had five minutes for me running through Manchester Airport this morning trying to get a plane back to Ireland. Yeah, that's it, Nick. I'm spending a bit too much time here now for my liking, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get home a bit easier than we got over anyway. Um, to cap what has been a fairly surreal year, it was a it was a fairly bizarre journey to to BBC Sports Personality of the Year yesterday. Did you get there in the end? I did. Uh, yeah, I got there in the end. Um, it was a bit a bit slow to get there. Uh, the fog kind of played havoc to our travel over here, and uh, just the, the airport was extremely busy and whatnot. But uh, yeah, look, we, we got there eventually. We didn't quite make the the interview part, but. Uh, Look, it was extremely special and, uh, yeah, an incredible award to pick up. Now, obviously, we know what a cool customer you are. You're great under pressure. How are you when you're sitting on a uh, an airport uh, tarmac waiting to go to a, an award ceremony like that and they won't let you off the plane? Yeah, the, the door was open and I was sitting in 1A. The door was open. I could see the... Um, the door into the terminal that I was meant to go to but I just we weren't allowed off the plane it was it was quite frustrating so I don't know how calm and collected I was in that half an hour but uh yeah look it, it all worked out anyway 
And there was a lovely picture. Ron Chakraborty, uh, one of the uh, senior executives at BBC, posted a picture this morning of you with with Tom Daly. It's a, a wonderful year to be a, a part of an award ceremony like this with some with some truly special sports people. Did you sort of allow it to to really sink in? Could you have that depth of appreciation last night? Ah, uh, look, it was just it was incredible. Like when I was um, getting ready for my Zoom, I had about five minutes to throw my dress on, and I could uh, I had the Zoom link up on my phone, and I could hear Simone Biles being interviewed um, after her award, and like that, that's just it's hard to comprehend that. Um, you know, the, the list of names that was there last night, uh, it's just incredible to think that you know people put you in the same award ceremony as those people, and like the, the list of nominees in my category, like it's just it's really hard to to think that you're you're on that list that that those people might potentially read your name at some stage uh it's just crazy and Rachel notwithstanding all the amazing success you've had outside of it to what extent do you do you feel that cut through from from the Grand National yeah look I've had such incredible support to be honest um like uh the I think anyone who had any connection with anyone in the UK got them to vote for me and like you know that's it's so special when, when people want to get behind you and you know get get behind racing I suppose and you know there was such incredible support and you know I, I'm so grateful to everyone for that um you know like it's so, such a, such an incredible thing to to be able to achieve uh you know to get that award last night and and the RT sports award last night as well like it's just been a crazy weekend i i know you not that well but well enough to know that you crave success but you don't crave the limelight are you more comfortable and, and relaxed with the attention you're getting now i suppose um yeah, like I, I don't find it, uh, you know, that uncomfortable or anything. Um, but it, look, it it comes with the it comes with the territory, I suppose. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap it back for anything. So look, you, you know what I mean? It's it, it's a very, it's a fantastic position to be in. And you know, I don't know. It's it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think what I get from you is like a real depth of appreciation of the of the fans in the sport as well, who've, who've warmed to you and your achievements so much. Does that resonate with you when you're riding these great horses? I mean, Honeysuckle in particular, when you go to the race and you get the you get the warmth of the of the people. Does that does that really have an impact on you? Oh, massively! And like you know, with Fairy House the last day, there was a proper crowd there to cheer her back in, and you know, I felt like you know I, I've got to enjoy her so much and I feel like everyone else is enjoying her now and you know plenty of people came that day to see her win and you know she thankfully delivered and you know it's uh to, to be you know sh- she has her complete own story and, and to be part of that is just you know a, a privilege for a jockey um you did also come out with one of the great quotes of the year I mean I I don't know how you do this in the in the heat of the moment when you said I don't feel male or female now I don't even feel human um it was it, it was one that'll live will live long in the memory at what point after that grand national victory did you start to feel human again if at all um I don't know uh, look it was it was an incredible incredible moment incredible yeah, it was just the sheer elation when you cross the line in the Grand National is just something I've never felt before. Um, I suppose you're going out in that race, there's no real pressure. Um, you know, trainers and jockeys are kind of aware of all the different variables that can happen in a race like that. So you're just hit with elation and joy and happiness. And yeah, look, it was incredible. 
or Rachel Blackmore there, and it was wonderful to snatch a few words with her there as she uh, as she tried to get out of Manchester Airport to get back to to Ireland, and and we'll talk about the the next time she flies to to the UK in a few moments' time, Jane. But you know, let's just reflect on the magnitude of that achievement, and and I I think you would agree with me that that Rachel has really warmed to what she obviously perceives as the responsibility of of her success. Yeah, look, I suppose what's amazing with the BBC World Sports Star Award is that it's decided by public vote. And we know that Rachel prefers to let her results speak rather than basking in the newfound public stardom that she has. Um, so I think that her, the magnitude of her achievements really struck a chord with the general public. And when she does speak, she's so humble and likable and a pro at deflecting praise and passing it to others. But these last couple of days, you know, the HRI uh, Hero Award, the Irish Times Sports Person of the Year Award, the RTE Sports Person of the Year Award, and then culminating in that one uh, in the BBC against those amazing names. You know, this has crowned the year of dreams. Who would have thought growing, even me growing up, that this was possible? Just it, And it's happened in, in literally the space of two years. You go back to March 2019, Manila Indo gave her her first grade one and the Albert Barta, that Plutar, won the Novice Handicap Chase at the festival. Fast forward two years, here we are looking at world domination. It's, um, and, and the year isn't over yet. As you say, you have, you have the King George to come, you have the Savills Chase. But you know what? Just stripping it all back, away from the awards and the grade ones and all of this amazing stardom. I was in Thurless yesterday and there was, a, there was an amazing crowd there and I was thinking maybe people are trying to get out and go racing before the new restrictions come in. But I was wrong. There was, there was one ride for Rachel Blackmore on the card. It was in the 210 on a, a mare called Mind Your Money, rated 105. And the queue of people who waited at the parade ring for her to come in to get to see her in person the people who waited outside the weigh room so that they could catch a glimpse of her before she left the race course, the kids who wanted autographs, the parents who waited with their kids to make sure they were in the right position so that they wouldn't get disappointed and miss her. That is something I've never, ever seen. She has inspired, like we throw around the word inspire like quite flippantly in sport, but this is something I could see in young people's eyes, this was Beyonce. This was their celebrity. And this, in the age of Instagram and all these influencers, Rachel Blackmore was the person they wanted to be. And I just thought that was really, really lovely. And then, of course, fast forward, we're all sitting down yesterday evening to watch the awards. And poor Rachel didn't get quite get there because of the fact that her flight was delayed or for whatever reason. And it's because she went to Turles for the 210. You know, think about it. Tom Brady, Novak, Max. Would they have been in the for the 210 to ride a mayor rate 105? She finished second, but it meant the world to all those people who went to Thurlis. And it just proves how focused and driven she is as a professional. Riding horses is her job. She has never lost sight of that. And yesterday just proved it even more. As somebody of, a, of basically the same, the same generation and as, as a woman who, who shared a changing room with, with Rachel Blackmore... Um, does it make it yet more resonant for you? I always get the feeling when you talk about her achievements, you are, you're almost sort of swelling with pride and emotion as to, as to the sort of significance of what she's achieving. Yeah, well, me 
and a lot of my friends who are obviously in the same circle, uh, we're almost living through her at this stage because none of us thought you would never, you actually would never dream of this. You would dream of being successful, whatever you define as success, but this is beyond anything because it's never even remotely happened before. It's not even, yes, women are writing grade one winners now on a fairly regular basis, but these horses, the fact that she has a stable jockey job with Henry de Bromhead, who basically has uh, a, a Michael Dickinson style of, of uh, or quality of horse in his yard at the moment. The fact that she's the go-to person for Willie Mullins when his stable jockey isn't available. It, and it all goes back to when we do get to, to see what's going on in her mind when she says, I don't feel male or female right now. I don't even feel human. That is transcendent to, to all, that comes across because it's genuine and it's real and this isn't fake. This is happening. And there's only a certain time in it. There's only going to be a window in it. And I feel as racing fans and, and as fans of sport, we are so lucky to be around to witness that glass ceiling shatter. You know, it, it, there's always felt like there's been a restriction or a ceiling on what a woman in this sport can achieve. That is no longer the case. I think you've expressed that so beautifully, and the success could just continue over the over the Christmas period, you know, quite conceivably, because Rachel's going to be here riding Manella Indo in the King George, and then she's going to go back and ride Apluta in the Savills Chase. They were first and second in the Gold Cup. They're first and second favourites for this season's Gold Cup. It just keeps rolling on. What are you expecting from either or both of those horses, Jane? I'm expecting a, a much improved performance from Manila Indo from what we saw on Down Royal. I thought on the day he looked like he was going to need to run physically and he still run, ran a very good race um, behind Frodon. And I thought, and I actually remarked on the day, it's the only time Frodon's going to beat him this year. So I hope that um, that proves accurate. And we all saw what happened in the Betfair chase with Aplutar. He was absolutely dominant. And we didn't quite know what he was going to do last year when he stepped up and trip and he of course eventually caught uh, a Kenboy on the line in the Savage Chase last year it is obviously no secret this horse is improving I don't think he'll be ridden as far off the pace in Leopardstown he's going to be ridden like the best horse in the race and it's a very plausible suggestion that she could pull off the double there and going into March have a very difficult decision to make but also, another horse that will improve and loves Leopardstown is Delta Work. Um, Leopardstown have been watering for quite a, a, a considerable time now because last year the chases were hit with disappointing number of non-runners. Hope that won't be the case this year because the Savills Chase looks like a, a mini Gold Cup in waiting. But King George, Nicky Henderson proved the weekend. His horses are ripe and ready to go. He's got a couple of pretenders there. Yeah, he has. I mean, this is the interesting point. I mean, how many plausible Gold Cup contenders are there at this point? Well, you know last year's one, two, and three. Manella Indo, Aplutar, and Album Photo are all plausible contenders. In terms of horses trained in Britain, you just have to maybe be a little bit more intuitive. You gave Protector out a good shout a couple of weeks ago. And of course, then there's the horse who won the long walk hurdle at Ascot over the weekend. Champ, and if you listen to Charlotte's interview with John Joe O'Neill Jr., 
um, on the Saturday edition, you'll have, you'll have been quite positive about Champ's hopes. Indeed, he won. He traveled like much the best horse. If he was yours, Jane, would you think, mm-hmm, I want to go back over fences and do what I was bred to do, win a gold cup? Or would you stay and say, right, I look good in a, in a long walk. I, I will dominate the staying hurdles division. Oh, sure. I'd love to go back over fences with him. He traveled insanely well at Ascot, almost too well, because John Joe O'Neill found himself in front forever too soon. This horse is, you know, I know he stays very well, but God, doesn't he travel beautifully through a race? And I thought he ultimately ended up making hard work of it, but probably unnecessarily so if he had a horse to carry him into the race for longer. If Ronald Pump had been able to travel for longer and take him further up the straight in Ascot, I don't think he'd have come off the bridle half as early. Um, but yeah, he obviously has an issue with his back, whether it's kissing spines or I'm not sure, but I, I would love to see him back over fences. He obviously, when he mowed down Manila, Indo and Alaho, you know, he looked like a Gold Cup horse in the making. And if they can get him right, if they could, if even if that's going to be his only run over fences this season, I think it'd be much more attractive a proposition for me than a stairs hurdle. Is it going to be contingent on what happens to Chantry House for the same connections in the King George? I.e., if he runs a bold race in the King George, he's the Gold Cup horse and Champ stays over hurdles. If Chantry House flops in the King George, you start entertaining the Gold Cup for Champ again. Isn't that, is that the way they're going to play it? Sure, naturally, that's the way we're going to be thinking. Um, I, I can't speak for what's going on in Nicky Henderson's or JP McManus's mind, but that would be the obvious way to go. Look, Chantry House is very good in Sandown. His form figures are there to be seen. He likes Cheltenham. Um, and they're very bullish about him for the King George. So he needs to pass that test. I don't think he's ever faced such a test in his life. Um, beating Shan Blue at Cheltenham last year, or Fusil Rattles, that race wouldn't be Gold Cup standard, but he can prove it now. Let's see what happens at Christmas. But his form figures are tremendously consistent. He's a very highly rated horse, and they obviously are very happy with him. Uh, and again, yeah, Henderson's horses are really starting to fire now. What did you make of John Bon on Friday in the Kennelgate Novices Hurdle? Oh, he is mustard. He is the real deal. I remember when he cost that insanely expensive sum as a point pointer, and I just thought, my God, is he worth it? And I was watching after, considering the respect I have for Napper's Hill, he's a really good horse. L.A. Bell, a very good mare. And it was an absolute canter. Yes, it was a false year unfair. They went slow, but he jumped so fluently and he, he could be better, a better horse with a lead and a stronger pace to run at. This horse, this horse is the one that the Irish people are considering as their main threat at this stage. This is what we're, this is what we have become as racing fans. You know, GB versus Ireland, we're already thinking, does Ireland have a horse to beat John Vaughan in the Supreme? I'm not sure. Uh, Jane, can we just talk about the sort of riding arrangements? I mean, that since the 20-time champion jockey AP McCoy retired, there's been much talk about whether JP McManus is going to have a, a retained jockey in the UK. As at the time, sort of John Joe Neal was a bit young and Aidan Coleman was in sort of other bits and pieces of jobs. Uh, it, it's still not clear, but I, I do wonder after Champ and, and John Bond whether we might be reaching something a bit firmer. Yeah, look, there's a lot of people who might speculate that John John Neal Jr. will fit like a glove into the role, but um, does he need to have a retained jockey at the moment? He's got the choice of the best stable jockeys in his respective trainers' yards, and Aidan Coleman is absolute mustard. So um, I actually remarked when he won on John Bond 
the other day. He didn't overcomplicate it. Aidan Coleman is a joy to watch. And that horse, John Bon, is yet to realise he's had a race this season because of the way he's been handled. So, yes, there'll be a lot of speculation around uh, the success of John, John, John Joe at the weekend and what might happen with Chantry House um, and Champ going forward. But I think JP McManus is in a good position to pick and choose as he pleases. Yeah, I think the, the one thing we can say is that Nico de Boinville's injury prior to Newbury, when it, it apparently was the case that he would have ridden John Bond, was an un, a, a deeply untimely one because that is now going to be Aidan Coleman's ride in perpetuity, I would have thought. Yeah, you would imagine look a bit like Epitant, but it's it's mere speculation at the moment. We can only say what we see and what I saw on John Bond at the weekend was poetry. Uh, Cornelius Lyser and I on Friday's edition talked in some depth about Asheen Murphy and that group of charges that had been laid before him by the British Horse Racing Authority and the rather uh, unusual, unprecedented joint statement between him and the authority and the circumstances surrounding that, that again, that BHA said that really were somewhat unprecedented in the sort of mental, oh, I beg your pardon, not mental, in that a, a medical issue had been had been flagged up and therefore he was going to relinquish his license and a hearing will be set at a later date. Jane, everybody's had their say on this over the weekend, but it would be remiss of me not to allow you your say on this. Yeah, look, everybody has, everybody's aware of uh, the infringements that have been caused and Oshin has admitted that he has an issue or he has issues and he needs to sort them. But ultimately, there's two ways of looking at this. One, you've relinquished the license to go and seek help, get that done. I know it's not clear and cut and dry, but this hasn't happened overnight. This has been brewing and this isn't a first offence. It's not even a second. The COVID infringements are serious and they should be seen as such. So when it is uh, come when it does come in front of in in front of the independent uh, disciplinary panel, I think they need to do what they have to do. If if it's a long ban, whatever they sanction, they see fit. I don't see um, his issues being an excuse for that because that sets a precedent going forward. Everyone has their own challenges in life. He's admitted that he needs to get help, but ultimately, if you break the rules, that to me is black and white. I've been working at the uh, London International Horse Show this week at the Excel Centre. Uh, Sheen Murphy's made a, an appearance or two there, and he's been quite a, a fixture on the, the show jumping scene this winter. If he if he ends up staring down the barrel of a significant ban of any significant length, I'd imagine that's how he's going to be passing his time. Oshin is first and foremost a horseman, and everybody can see that no matter what the discipline. But I think Oshin needs to be a little bit careful. He said that he's taking a step back to concentrate on his personal issues. So being visible in a public light in a different discipline, in show jumping, will call into question if he's really taking his rehab seriously. We talk quite a bit on this podcast about how we widen the sports appeal and about how more people from more backgrounds can get involved in horse racing. And if they do enjoy horse racing, then how they might get employed in horse racing and how they might continue their enjoyment of it. Uh, Josh Appiaffi is the founder of Racing Pathway, who, as its name suggests, is devoted to this cause and has just launched the Racing Media Academy, racingmediaacademy.com, to try and get more people from more backgrounds into into the sport and into communicating the sport and josh is with me now josh uh, this is just landed 
uh, with me this morning, and I thought I've got to give you a call to to talk about this because it's uh, it sounds like the beginning of quite an exciting new adventure for 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 hopefully a lot of people who want to get into the sport. Absolutely, Nick, and I think what we've, we're trying to do is open it up to as many people as possible. I was very conscious that uh, we tend to attract the same demographic to our sport, and I think that when speaking to teenagers of today, there's three main things they're most concerned about in terms of what makes a, a pastime or an initiative attractive is um, diversity and inclusion uh, and making sure it's reflective that everyone gets a chance, sustainability, um, and, and it was very interesting during COP26, I think there was only one organisation in racing that announced what their, their targets were going to be. So we've got a lot of work to do there. And their final one, which isn't a surprise to you and I as dads of, uh, of kids, is connectivity to make sure that they're, they're very much one communicated to, but secondly, they can communicate what they're doing. So uh, those were the three. And hopefully with the Racing Media Academy that's launched today, um, which is great bringing all these media organisations together. Some people think they sort of argue uh, out in public. They don't. They've been working brilliantly, and the senior heads of those have worked with me for the last 12 months, uh, since January, when I sort of came up with this concept, put the right people in the room, and um, it's amazing when you do that the magic happens. Right. So take me through the mechanics of it, how it's going to work, and what the end result is going to be, or what we hope the end result is going to be. Hopefully the end result is that we'll have a far more, if this continues, and I hope it does over the, over the coming years and decades, that there'll be a far more diverse catchment into, our, uh, into the racing media, which puts a, you know, we've got a big role to play in terms of promoting a far more diverse sport. What happens is we've got, we'll have applications open today um, for 10 places. Uh, there's a one-week course at the uh, British Racing School, which has speakers including um, your colleagues such as uh, Ollie Bell, Claire Balding, TikTok UK are coming in, Equine Productions. So a four-week residential course that's been very uh, kindly paid for by the Racing Foundation. Um, so that's free for them to do that. And then post that, they get a six- to ten-week placement at one of those media organisations. So we've got seven media organisations, um, ITV, Equine Productions, Race Tech, JSC Sport, The Racing Post, and Sky Sports Racing and Racing TV. Um, and they get it, like I say, get a, a work placement there. So at the end of it, I mean, if they're good enough, let's hope they get a, they could well get a job there. But if not, they'll get something on their CV that can then go and help them into what areas of the media, as you and I know, there are all sorts of different areas in the media rather than just presenting. Uh, and it's getting those out there to make it an option for teenagers coming through. So, Josh, if, if anybody is listening that wants to apply or if anybody knows someone who they think ought to apply, where do we direct them? We direct them to racingmediaacademy.com. It's for 18 and above. Um, and you can apply in there for one or all of the seven placements that are available. Um, and the closing date is the 31st of January. Well, the festive period for, for horse racing is, is clearly under significant threat in terms of how many people are going to be allowed to go to the sports in both uh, Britain and Ireland uh, as we await further government restrictions. As earlier in the pandemic, Jane, it seems as though Ireland are uh, half, at least half a step ahead of where, where the UK are. Uh, Neffert is, is the, the body responsible for advising the government on such matters. Uh, what are they saying and how is it going to impact you? 
Uh, it'll impact society significantly. NEFIT is the National Public Health Emergency Team. They are an advisory group um, in the ear of the government. A lot of people have their own opinion on NEFIT, but ultimately it's the government's decision whether they take the recommendations or not. So last week it was recommended by NEFIT that we close hospitality from five o'clock. That sparked outrage. The government then, the Taoiseach Michal Martin, came out with a statement on Friday evening saying that all hospitality would be closed from eight o'clock. Um, they also suggest, or they also have stated that outdoor events will be reduced to 50% capacity or 5,000 people. So that will, of course, affect Limerick and Leopardstown. Now, Leopardstown, before these rec uh, recommendations or restrictions came in, they had already voluntarily reduced their capacity for the Christmas Racing Festival and put uh, measures in place to make sure customers felt safe. But of course, now tickets had been sold. They have to contact each individual uh, purchaser to make sure whether they can or cannot go. Um, and I think everybody on Friday evening was adjusting to their own particular arrangement. Each, each race course has a different capacity. Each race course has a different facility. Now, of course, five, a five o'clock curfew was never going to affect racing because at this time of year we start early, we start at noon and we're finished before four. Um, so the main impact on a racing front for the festive period is that there will be a maximum of 5,000 people there. But I would expect each race course to come out and say if they are happy to take 5,000 people or less. Um, the other silver lining is, of course, it's a much better position than we were in last year when we had absolutely no people at the races. It was merely functional and it was almost soul destroying an atmosphere so there is a silver lining there we were expecting these restrictions to come in Neffet expected or re recommended harsher and stricter restrictions and uh, Michal Martin found somewhat of a happy medium although if you ask anybody in hospitality over here they're far from happy yeah and the, the situation here in the UK is that it, it seems from reports we're getting this morning that the Prime Minister is being presented with three possible uh, scenarios three potential further restrictions before Christmas, um, and the you know, the least severe of those does involve an element of, of social distancing. And if an element of social distancing comes in, that will necessarily um, reduce crowds at, at race courses. And we heard heard about that from from David Armstrong on the show last week. Um, I don't think there's too much more, Jane, other than to ask me ask you for a tip for me for today. Yeah, so we're quite rather quiet on the racing front in. Um across GB in Ireland. Obviously, Ireland finished before uh, Christmas yesterday at Thurlis, so I'm going to the north of England and to Musselburgh, where I fancy Broadway Joe. Brian Hughes and Nick Alexander teaming up in the 115 at Musselburgh in the novice handicap chase of Broadway Joe. But if you were asking me for a tip for Christmas, I do think Aplutar is the horse that we're all going to be talking about after the Savile's chase. Jane, thank you, thank you for listening, and I will leave you with news that's broken this morning. The Ascot Racecourse has appointed a new chief executive, effective from after the Royal Meeting this year, and that will be Vivian Curry. She has been the chief executive of Hamilton Park since 2008. She's also been a non-executive director of the Racecourse Association for five years, and a member's nominated director of the BHA for four years, and received an MBE in the New Year's Honours list in 2020 for services to racecourse management, business and charity. She will succeed Guy Henderson, on the 30th of June. Uh, congratulations to her. We'll reflect on that on tomorrow's podcast when David Yates will be my guest. Um, for the time being, thanks for listening. We'll see you again uh, tomorrow.
you've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.